you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, boy, what a, what a night divine that must have been at the birth of Christ. But uh, you know, Christ is born over and over and over and over again. I know that there was only one physical birth of Christ when He gave up heaven and put on flesh and became a man, but He was born again in my heart. You know, that's really what being born again is all about, is that Christ was born and now He's born again and He's born again and He's born again. Every time somebody bends the knee and bows the head, surrenders their heart and life to Christ, then Christ is born afresh in a very new way in a person's life. And that is, uh, that's talking about salvation. When we come to Christ by faith and trust the life that He lived, it's not just the birth you know, of the babe of Bethlehem so many years ago, but it was the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, all of those things make up the gospel of Christ. And when we surrender our lives to the Lordship and the finished work of Christ that He did, then... We become new creations in Christ Jesus and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you have your Bibles open to Luke 1, we're going to begin in verse 30 and uh, just go through 33. What I want to talk to you about for the rest of our time this morning is the name of Jesus. And uh, I don't think that you could have sang a better song, brother, to introduce the topic of, uh, of the name of Christ. Of course, we realize that Jesus so often at this time of year is, is remembered as that babe of Bethlehem, the lowly child of, uh, of the manger scene that you see all over the place. And yet we do realize and understand that He's so much more than that, that He is mighty God. He is God Almighty in the flesh. And uh, that His glorious presence is still with us even today, even though He uh, he gave up the ghost, went to the cross, shed His blood and died, and ascended back to heaven. But He says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, but that if I go, I'll send another comforter. I'll send somebody back. And of course, we realize that is the Spirit of Christ living on the inside of us. And Christ came not only just to live the life, to die the death, to ascend back to heaven, but, uh, but to pay the wage, to pay the price of our sin that we might be saved. And we find in these verses, you take a look at verse 30 and it reads like this, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, And shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. That uh, the kingdom of God through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will last for eternity. But what we want to talk about really is in that verse 31 where it says, And his name shall be called Jesus, and thou shalt call his name 
Jesus. I love the verses that talk about the name of Jesus. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Saved. And the very name, the very word Jesus means Savior. That He came from heaven with a specific purpose, with a mission on His heart and on His mind. He came to save. Jesus means Savior. God is measuring the depth of man's need and He can only meet that need by the gift of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We know that the wage of sin is death and all men have died because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And certainly I'm not the first and neither are you that stand in need of a Savior. Every person that's ever been born on the face of this earth needs a Savior. But what is He saving us from? You know, I mentioned that in Sunday school this morning, and I kind of gave away a little bit of my my message. I didn't mean to do that. It just kind of opened my mouth and it fell out. Uh, sometimes that happens, especially with me, or at least that's what my wife tells me. But uh, certainly we realize that He came here with a purpose and with a mission. And that mission was to seek and to save that which is lost. That was the purpose that God sent Him into the world for. But if we say, well, He came to save, then we have to ask the question, what is it that He came to save us from? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I've got a few answers for you that I want you to notice here. Actually, there are three of them. We're going to break those three down into about 12 different subtopics. And uh, hopefully I'll get through within the next 30 minutes. But uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 says this, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And here is why. Why are we going to call his name Jesus? And by the way, again, the word or the name Jesus means Savior. And she shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. From their sin. So we know that he is the Savior. We know that he came to save. He gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross, shed his blood, and died. That he might shed his blood and save his people. And one of the things that he saves his people from is from sin. I remember uh, reading a message by a guy by the name of Arthur Pink. Brought a whole new uh, message to the song that I heard one time. My favorite color is pink. And uh, I don't even remember who sings that anymore. That's been years ago. But boy, I fell in love with this guy named Arthur Pink. He, uh, he became one of my very favorite authors. And he preached a, a message uh, talking about a fourfold salvation. And the fourfold salvation is the salvation that God saves us from sin and that salvation, the fourfold salvation, is from the pleasure of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence of sin. So when God says that He sent a Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, into the world to save us, and not just to save us, but to save us from our sin, boy, that means a lot. It's not just from one particular aspect of sin in our lives that He saves us. But He saves us from the pleasure of sin. How many of you have ever indulged in the pleasures 
of sin. Now, I'm not looking for hands to be raised. I'm not looking to embarrass anybody, but certainly if I did ask for hands, everybody in this room, including your pastor, would have to raise our hand. But God gave up heaven and put on flesh and became a man, went to the cross, shed His blood, and died to save us from the pleasure of sin. And some people say, well, now wait a minute, how can that possibly be? Because I've sinned lately. And to some degree, there was a small amount, if not a large amount, of pleasure in that sin. Yes, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but only for a season. And certainly we... Uh, we realize that after that pleasure is done, if we are believers in Christ, if we have surrendered our hearts and lives to the Lordship of Christ, if Christ has actually become our Lord, not just Savior, but of course we need Him as our Savior in order to be our Lord. And if we've really genuinely surrendered our hearts and lives to Him, even though we sometimes intentionally cross the fence into the world and enjoy the pleasures of sin. That pleasure is only for a season until the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us crushes our hearts, convicts us of that sin. And all of a sudden, the, the pleasure goes away and it's like ashes in our mouth. Now, if I was to ask you, how many of you have indulged in the pleasure of sin and all of a sudden, that pleasure turned into bitterness? into agony, into weeping, into gnashing of teeth, into ashes in your mouth. I wonder if the same amount, I said everybody in here would be able to raise their hand if they indulged in the pleasures of sin. But how many have indulged in the pleasures of sin lately that all of the sudden that pleasure became torture or agony, torment, ashes in our mouth? I wonder if every person would agree with that. Certainly, we should. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 says this, that uh, Moses is who it's speaking of, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Are we willing to suffer with the people of God to put to death the flesh, the old nature that does so love the pleasures of sin. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, oh, I remember the life that I used to live and the pleasures of sin, but the life that I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And I'm ready and willing rather to crucify the flesh, to put it to death. You do realize what the crucifix is. That's what the cross is. It's just an instrument of death. And if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow after me. And when we follow after Christ, dragging our cross behind us, what we are doing is crucifying ourselves daily. Dying to sin. Being resurrected to life by the blood of Christ to live a life that brings glory and honor to Him. If that's true, then it becomes like ashes in our mouth. 
when we partake of the pleasures of sin. Secondly, not only the pleasure of sin, but He came to save His people from the penalty of their sin. You know what the penalty of the sin is. The wage of sin, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin are death. Death. That's exactly right. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The penalty. There is a price to pay for our sin. I'm glad that God gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, went to the cross and shed His blood and died to pay the wage or the penalty of my sin. Now I realize that that's not the only penalty of sin. Just because I don't die and go to hell because of what Christ does does not mean that if I indulge in sin that there's still not a price to pay. I may not wind up in a lake of fire for eternal eternity, but there is still a consequence to my actions. And we as Christians, we as Christians, we pay the consequence for our sins in this life. Sometimes we don't realize that. We think we think it's well that's just the normal normal things that everybody goes through. You know, that's yeah, circumstances of life, coincidence. You know, you have a flat. You run out of money. You lose your job. You get sick. All kinds of things take place in our lives. We always just chalk it up to life in general. But I'll guarantee you this, that a lot of things that are going on in our lives sometimes are a penalty to us because of our willful rebellion against the Word of God. But I'm so thankful that God paid the price for me that even though I have to pay a consequence in this world when I sin, I don't ultimately have to pay the wage of sin in the next. Well, we have the pleasure of sin and the penalty of sin, but what about the power of sin? Also in that same book and chapter, Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, it reads like this, For sin shall not have dominion. Dominion means power. You see, when I was lost, when I was dead, when I was separated from God, the sin that had slain me, I, I gave up you know, my spiritual life because of sin that I was born in. I was separated from God from the womb. The wicked go astray, the Bible says, as soon as they come forth from the womb. Now I do realize this, that where it says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. The Bible says that the power of sin is the law. How is it that God delivered me from the power of sin? Well, that was because He fulfilled the law of God on my behalf. And when God gave up heaven, put on flesh, and lived a 33 year sinless life, we think of the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection, but we forget about the life that He lived of sinless perfection. But it was that sinless perfection according to the law that freed me from the law. He lived it for me. He was sinlessly perfect on my behalf. And now sin has no more dominion over me, for I am not under the law but under grace. Grace, grace, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. And I've been redeemed and I've been set free from the law of God. Does that mean that I don't have to keep the law anymore? Well, certainly I don't have to keep the law in order to go to heaven, in order to be saved. I argued with one of my Church of Christ friends the other day about that who assured me that I was going to regret my position 
on grace. He says, oh, listen, baptism is not a work of the law. He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Is baptism, does God command us to be baptized? Well, yes, He does. Is a commandment the law of God? Certainly it is. Anything that God commands is a law. And I says, well, in me stepping over in the baptismal pool, am I not fulfilling a law that God has commanded me to keep? Certainly that's true. Well, should I be baptized? Absolutely. Do I have to be baptized? No. Jesus saw John the Baptist out in the river baptizing people and he waded out into the water. John saw him coming. He says, oh, wait a minute, Lord, I, I have need to be baptized of thee. I, I don't want to baptize you. you. You baptize me. And Jesus said, suffer it so now. Suffer it to be so now. In order that all righteousness might be fulfilled. What did he mean when he said in order that all righteousness might be fulfilled? That all of the righteousness of the law that it takes for me to be saved and to go to heaven was fulfilled in the finished life, work, death, burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, everything that He did was an act on our behalf to fulfill the Word of God that we might be saved and be delivered from the power of the law and the power of sin. Well, the pleasure, the penalty, the power. But what about the presence? You see, God gave up heaven and put on flesh and became the Savior of the world to deliver us not only from those three, pleasure, penalty, and power, but one day, praise God, I'm going to wind up in a place called heaven. And there is no sin in that place. Even though I've sinned here, even after my salvation, is it possible for a man to be saved and still sin? Certainly, all saints are sinners. Not all sinners are saints. And we still sin, but one day, I have hope that when I leave this earth, because of the birth, which is what we're celebrating now, but not only the birth, but the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I will be delivered from the very presence of sin. There will be no sin in heaven. Revelation <clears throat> chapter 21 and verse 27 says this, And there shall in no wise enter into it, speaking of heaven, anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. So what he's saying there is that one day, boy, I can't wait for that day. I'm looking forward to it, by the way. But one day, whenever that day may come, I'll be delivered from the very passe precare, the very possibility of sin. No passe precare in heaven. No possibility to sin against God. Well, not only... Did he come to save us from sin? But secondly, he came to save us from self. Now, I, I think I, I might have quoted this uh, out of turn a while ago. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me And I noticed in that verse when I was reading it and putting it down in this message, the word I. 
I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you realize that the word sin, the very center letter in the middle of that word is I? And most of us put I first, we're on the throne of our own hearts, our own lives. One of the things that Jesus gave up heaven and put on flesh and became a man to live a sinless life and to die for is not only sin, as I in, but also to deliver me from myself. Myself. Romans 6 6 says this Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So even though the middle letter of the word is sin, even though I am a sinner, even after I am saved, all saints are sinners, not all sinners are saints, but I am, I am delivered from self. That means I don't put myself on the throne of my own heart and live according to the own dictates of my old nature and the flesh that lives on the inside of me. Self-wisdom, self-effort, self-righteousness, all of these are enemies from which we need to be delivered. Delivered from self and from which we are saved when Jesus reigns within our heart. Now listen, we can be saved. We can have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us and still not have Him ruling and reigning from the throne of our heart. That self is still planted firmly on that throne. My friend, we need to be dethroned. And we need to place Christ on the throne of our hearts. Thirdly, not only does He save us from our sin, save us from ourself, but He saves us from this present evil world. And you know what the world is. And I'm not talking about the planet that we're living on. God gave us this planet, this world this beautiful creation that He made. And boy, what a beautiful place He has given us as Lake St. John Baptist Church here on the side of a beautiful lake. If you wasn't here in Sunday school this morning, you can look out this big picture frame window. If you'll come back at 5 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to be having a meal back there and, and having some fun. And you'll be able to look out the back window and just enjoy the beautiful creation that God has given to us. God made us this world and He wants us to enjoy this world. But I'm talking about not this dirt ball, but I'm talking about this godless system that we're living in. And certainly this present evil world. Why is the world evil? Because the God of this world, and when I say the God of this world, I'm not using a capital G. I'm using a small case, little letter G in God. It just means an authority. And God has turned this world over to the power of Satan. And He is the little g God of this evil world. And it's evil because of who its God is. And you see most people in this world, this godless system, marching to the tune of the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the devil. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world 
according to the will of God and our Father by being crucified with Christ, which is what I mentioned a while ago. We are crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to us, or should be. I die to it, and it dies to me. Remember, crucifixion, the cross, is an instrument of death. And if I die to the world and the world dies to me, it means that the world has been crucified again. Galatians 6.14 says this, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The cross of Christ comes between us and our sin. Sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes we try to hide it. We try to move it. We try to go around it, under it, over it. Sometimes even through it. That we might have the desires of our heart and do the pleasures of the flesh. But there's a cross standing in the way that Christ was crucified on. He stands between us and our sins, between us and our flesh, between us and the world. Did not the Lord pray that we should be kept from the evil in John chapter 17 and verse 15. I'm so thankful that the Bible says that He is mighty to save. He's mighty. Do you understand the name of Jesus is the most powerful name on the planet? The name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is mighty. To save. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So we are saved from our sin. We are saved from ourselves. We are saved from this present evil world. But ultimately, and I shared this in the Sunday school class, I gave it away. But even though we are saved from so many different Areas and venues and things in our lives. Ultimately, what is it that we are saved from? We are saved from God. We are saved by God. From God. Have you ever realized that? The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 through 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath that is to come. The wrath that is to come is not coming from Satan. The wrath that is to come is not coming from this godless system or this godless world. That we're living in. The wrath that is to come. And by the way, I'm certainly thankful that God has delivered us from the wrath that is to come. The wrath that is to come that's going to be poured out on this world. Or to be start being poured out in this world and on this world during the tribulation. That's how I know that the rapture of the church is going to take place before the tribulation begins. Because we are not called 
to wrath. We've been delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ from the wrath of God. We'll not, we'll not endure the wrath of God during the tribulation and certainly will not endure the wrath of God for eternity in a place called hell. All because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, what we are saved from is God. The wrath of God is steadfast. It's sure. It's coming. I know we look back at the coming of Christ. This time of year, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. My first two messages were about His second coming and our anticipation, our excitement, looking forward to the next time He comes. These messages have been about the first coming, the first advent, and what He saved us from. But I can't help but think about His second coming during this time. The wrath of God is steadfast and sure. There's no doubt it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But I'm so glad that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is just as steadfast and sure. He's coming back as surely as He came the first time. Are you ready? Are you looking forward to His return? Are you just a little bit afraid of what's going to happen, what it's going to be like? Listen, I am. Because I know that even though I'm a Christian, I'm going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ. And I'm going to be judged, not as to whether I'm lost or saved and whether I'm going to heaven or hell, but as to whether I receive rewards or not. You say, oh, I can't be too bad. If I get any, that's good. If I don't get as many as somebody else, who cares? But the Bible says that you shall receive what was done in the flesh, whether it be good or evil, good or bad. My friend, that's going to be a terrifying time to stand before God. Oh, I'm thankful I'm not going to hell. And the thought of the return of Christ is exciting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But it's also cringing because I realize that I am not the man that I could and should be. None of us are. We should never be satisfied with that. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy. Thank You for this time that we have together and to worship You, to praise You, to celebrate Your birth and not only Your birth, but Your life and not only Your life, but even Your death, Your resurrection. Your second coming, God, we love you and we worship every aspect of who and what you are. What you've done in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives. God, help us to be submissive to your will. We'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise for who you are, what you've done, what you're going to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take a hymn book.